0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to
1: allthews.3cr.org.au.
2: Good morning all. You're on 3CR Fire Up program. You probably worked it out, but we're not here at the moment. We're on a three-week siesta, having a break, and we'll be back on the second week of February the 10th. Andy here from the Fire Up program, 3CR... October 2020 marked 50 years since the collapse of the Westgate Bridge. We'll be bringing a three part special from 3CR's 50 year commemorative broadcast honouring the workers who were injured or lost their lives on the building of the Westgate Bridge.
3: Over the years, 3CR has marked the Westgate Bridge disaster with commemorative broadcasts. A warning that the following feature does contain graphic first hand accounts of the disaster.
4: Identification. This is the documentary program for the anniversary of the collapse of the Westgate Bridge, 20th anniversary. Program made in October 1990. Program starts five seconds from now.
2: thunder and a big mushroom cloud like the atom bomb and uh, a foreman came down and said the bridge has collapsed I said you kidding and he said no because we couldn't see the end of the bridge from the lift because the bridge bent like a banana and we were down lower and looking up.
5: We heard this almighty crack it was just like a like a giant piece of wood, or somebody—you've ever heard anybody who's ever broken an arm or a leg—if you multiply that a thousand times, it's an almighty crack. We looked up; we could see because we were looking straight at the bridge. We could see the concrete piling actually coming towards us, because all we could see was the concrete coming down. The actual bridge we seen it drop. Then we—it was like an earthquake when the bridge actually hit the, hit the the dirt.
0: Melbourne, 15th of October 1970. Construction on the Westgate Bridge has been in progress for 30 months. The aim is to span the Yarra River between Port Melbourne and the western suburbs where some of Victoria's biggest industries have vested their hopes in an early completion. At 10 minutes to 12, the span on the western side collapses. 35 workers are killed.
2: Oh, time is It is
1: precious and golden, that's needed so much by a working class bloke. It's ours in the cradle, then sold, seized and stolen. If your court's of your guard, it is snuffed at a stroke.
0: This program has been compiled from material in the report of the Royal Commission into the disaster and from first-hand accounts of those who worked on the bridge, riggers, labourers, boilermakers, welders.
6: I went down there in oh, I think early 68, 1968, and uh, I was working on the, on the bridge when we started to build the first of the panels to, to assemble the boxes for world services.
1: Time is our own when we wake in the morning, when stomachs are empty, we clock on each day, and high on the scaffold, you are given no warning, if a pylon comes crashing, it will take you away.
0: In 1957, over 90 companies including AMPOL, BP, Caltex, SO, ICI and CSR formed the Western Industries Association with the purpose of having a crossing built over the Lower Yarra River to serve their business needs. Out of this association was formed the Lower Yarra Crossing Authority in 1965, a private company with the go-ahead to build the bridge and a guarantee that its liabilities would be met by the Victorian Balti Government. For every six months that the opening date was postponed, interest charges on the loans that had been taken out would be in the order of $1 million. Freeman, Fox & Partners, a British firm, designed the bridge in joint consultation with Maunsell and Partners of Melbourne. The contracts for construction of the central steel spans went to World Services and Constructions, a Dutch-based firm. John Holland Constructions, a Victorian company, won the contract for the concrete approach spans and later took over steel erection when World Services withdrew from their contract. Hollands obtained a generous no liability clause in their steel contract. Each steel span was designed as a series of steel boxes or cells bolted together. World Services chose to assemble half boxes on the ground into two half spans, each representing one of the future carriageways. The two half spans were to be jacked up separately to the tops of the concrete piers, placed side by side and bolted together longitudinally. This method claim to be fast and economical turned out to be a crucial factor in later events.
1: There are men with more time than they know what to do with Who decided one day that a bridge we would build We rushed the job through to save cost.
0: Workers became seriously alarmed over the safety of the structure in June 1970 when a similar Freeman and Fox designed box girder bridge collapsed during construction at Milford Haven in Wales. Tom Watson, ironworker, Ray Lindholm, boiler maker, Eddie Halsall, rigger, and Jim O'Neill, metalworkers' organiser, recall that period.
5: It came to a head when workers read in the paper there was a bridge in, um, in Great Britain that collapsed. And Freeman and Fox were the same um, consulting company. The Milford Haven Bridge, uh, when that co- uh, collapsed, the uh, the stewards asked uh, more information from the from the uh, the management. That wasn't forthcoming at that point in time. It got to the stage where the workers decided to have a stop work meeting, and de- and uh, asked that engineers and management address them on the safety of the Westgate Bridge and also the reasons why the Milford Haven Bridge collapsed. I I think that meeting was. Uh, a bit of a snow job. Um, most of the engineers from um, Freeman and Fox and John Holland um, basically one after the other told us how safe the bridge was.
6: We heard about Milford Haven and we had a meeting and we asked questions and uh, assurances were given to us that uh, that our, our bridge was safe, everything was in, in you know everything was in order but as an extra precaution, we were going to do some strengthening on the pier diaphragm.
3: Yeah, he said, it's it's as safe as ours. You wouldn't, he said, you wouldn't find me up there if it wasn't safe, would you? you know? His thrust of what he was saying was, well, I'll be up there taking exactly the same risks as you, and
4: you think I'm going to put my
6: life on the line, I've got a wife and kids too.
0: But
4: well before that stage,
0: the structure was nowhere near as healthy as the engineers like to describe it. As the report of the Royal Commission noted...
7: Beneficial cooperation between the World Services and Freeman Fox & Partners thus broke down at an early stage so far as calculations were concerned. The evidence shows that Freeman Fox were principally to blame for this unhappy state. In addition to refusing to hand over a copy of their calculations, they rarely replied to correspondence asking for technical information. From then on future trouble was almost inevitable. World Services had imperfectly understood the overall structure behaviour and Freeman Fox, if they checked at all, had failed to detect the flaws in World Services' analysis. The result was that certain elements which would have become overstressed in erection and some even in service were not strengthened.
0: While general flimsiness throughout the structure was looming as a major problem, John Hollands, now in charge of steel erection, were doing no better in overcoming the difficult problem of setting the correct camber in the half boxes. The Commission said,
7: It can be argued, with some justice, that if proper procedures had been adopted when bolting together the boxes on the ground, then there need never have arisen the large camber difference experienced between north and south girders. When John Holland took over the assembly of the half spans on the west side, they do not appear to have understood the logic behind the floating system.
0: Before raising the assembled half spans from the ground, John Hollands found the two halves were out of line by four and a half inches. The commission again.
7: We think that Hindshaw made an error of judgement in not insisting on a more effective camber control and in approving the raising of the south half span 1011 when there were already clear indications that its camber would not match up with that of the north half span.
5: Well, what started to really alarm the workers in the first place is when they um, jacked up the, the first section of the of the bridge. And as they were jacking it up, there was a lot of moans and groans from the steel. You could see the steel starting to, to buckle and bend when it was going up. A lot of workers were concerned because they were told by engineers that this was the largest box girder bridge of its type in the world at that time and had never been jacked up in that way before. It was the first time it ever been jacked up hydraulically. When they got doing the west side, I, I think they, that it was worse on the west side. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, some of the engineers, in my opinion, on that side were uh, probably not as uh, experienced as they should have been. On the east side
0: of the river, the height difference had been eliminated by selective jacking and bolting, but now time was short and the engineers had a new plan. Eddie Helsel and boilermaker Anton
3: Herbert. And then this young engineer on this side, he said it took too long, he said what we'll do on, on the Spotswood side, we'll roll these concrete blocks down on little tracks, it'll push the north span down and it'll be level with the south span. Yeah, well so John Hollands were in course. charge and they they said we've got to keep you know we've got the job now because the approaches are getting close and
8: and they said right speed it up a bit you know and when I started uh, they had sort of lifted large concrete blocks on, on one span and the reason for that was that one span was probably about uh, one foot six or two foot higher than the other span and in order to meet them up they they put great big concrete blocks on, on the one span so they could meet up and they could ball them together and uh, as that sort of happened the top of the boxes developed a, a buckle and sort of we could see this buckle developing and it sort of started to get bigger and we were wondering about about that buckle, but, I mean, everybody realized that there was something wrong because the spans were quite different in, in, in chamber, and we understood that it wasn't right. But we, <coughs> we had to trust the engineer, obviously, and they, they decided that they were going to do it that way and proceed with it.
0: The significance of numerous misalignments in the structure was not lost on the workers. Twenty worried delegates from the job attended a monthly meeting at the Boilermakers Society. This resulted in a letter from Oscar Meyer, chairman of the Lower Yarra Crossing Authority, guaranteeing the safety of the bridge. Joe Statz, Boilermaker.
8: A delegation of, the, of about the 20 people I described earlier um, came down to this branch meeting and wanted a special hearing at this to put their concerns forward, which they did very well. It was a lengthy meeting.
0: The buckle was a source of anxiety for the engineers and a talking point amongst the workers.
9: Margaret Halsall Oh, Edwin used to just came home and he used to tell me little things that went on, mm. and he he used to talk about this more than anything about this buckle in the bridge. And mm. even I mean, Edwin's not an engineer, but he knew somehow that that was wrong.
8: Uh, where the rumor went around, or some chap. One of the chaps told me that they had asked our foreman, well, and our engineer, to start the work, which we knew would have to happen to get it, send the buckle out. And our engineer and our foreman said to that they didn't really want to do it, and they somehow invented an excuse. The night before it collapsed, the word was out they would do it the next day and I wanted us to start it.
3: We knew the kettleage was up there, the kettleage being 20 tonnes, concrete blocks, trying to weigh the buckle out, and it had some effect. It took
4: some of the buckle out, and as they got the buckle out, they were bolting it up and slowly reducing the size of the buckle. We were not informed
3: that they were going to take the bolts out. We didn't know. What would
4: you have, have done if they, if they had told you? Who
3: knows? Who knows? I don't know. I you what you would have done.
6: Who knows? I know a foreman refused to do it on a night shift. He said he, he didn't want to remove the bolts out of the 4-5 splice unless there was more senior supervision.
0: And so on the morning of the 15th of October, work began on removal of bolts from one of the top deck plates so that the buckle would disappear. Dave Robson, a rigger, and Eddie Helsel were there.
2: Well, I was preparing to take the bolts out. Uh, there was around about the 50 bolts. Uh, they turned blue, the bolts. They're good for a tonne each bolt. And they're a tapered shank bolt. And um, they were turning blue.
4: You saw them turning blue? Yeah,
2: you can see the nuts turning blue. and They had a maker there, Barney, I forget his second name. He, uh, he was going to take
3: him out. And I could see this buckle, and I saw the steel changing colour on, on the top's deck. It was changing colour? Yeah, because it was all rusted. They'd been lying in the paddocks for ages, these box sections. Yeah. And it, it was changing to a, a bluey colour, like, you know.
4: Was this just along the line of the bolts, along the Right
3: splice? across the middle span. And the the buckle had got bigger because this Bernie Butters and Desi Gibson, they were taking the bolts out. They were told to take these bolts out and try and get this buckle out. Mm. And uh, anyway, when it came that that the buckle was getting better, bigger, that's when they called the engineers over, all the top, top men from the other side of the river.
4: That would have been about... What, about 11 o'clock?
3: About 11 o'clock, yeah. And so they came over.
4: Uh, Hineshaw and Crossley came up then, didn't yeah, they? Yeah,
3: yeah. And Ian Miller and Dick Tracy, they're all there. And Hineshaw said, put them back in, put, put the boats back in. But he couldn't get them back in because the holes had gone half and half, you know. They'd slimmed half-blinded. Yeah, so they said, ream, ream them out. Ream them, get them bolts in. Let's do that.
4: Yeah, I know they came rushing up there, you know. What did you think when you saw the metal changing in colour and the bolts being taken out and that sort of thing? Did it go through your mind then that there might be something really dangerous no, about No,
3: not really. I said to Bernie, I st- Bernie Buller, I said, don't take too many out, Bernie. Of course it would fall down, you know. And he just left, you know. And this was at 10 to 12, they were supposed to be knocking off for lunch then, you know. And there they are trying to ream and ream and ream.
4: That was at 10 to 12? That was just before it was. Oh, just
3: before, 12 minutes too, yeah. Yeah,
4: so. Because
3: I just walked you, to the lift, went down, and what was it.
4: You only missed it by a couple of minutes?
3: Yeah, the next lift went up, yeah. and it stopped halfway up couldn't even get there because the was all cut off when they fell and all the people on waiting to get into the lift, they were all killed cool. Ian Miller was stood behind me the engineer John Holland's engineer he said no you go first <laughs> but then you, you you can't imagine that much falling down can't imagine it you know 2,000 tons of steel dropping
8: like that
0: but at 10 minutes to 12, it did just that.
8: I was working at a time at the uh, BHP building in the city. The thing was collapsing. It just seemed like a mechanical set coming down.
1: The structure, it's split and costs 35 kill. It's safe in the barroom when wind the bridge ceases. When you hear the bolt snapping, you can't strike for more pain. Hire more and fire more, start again when it pleases. But the man who builds bridges, he is crushed in
0: the clay. Some of the workers could not believe their amazing luck in surviving the crash. Eddie halsall again.
3: I was the last man in the lift and came down and I went underneath the bridge. It was ten minutes to 12 12 minutes to twelve and... I thought, I'm a bit early going up for a counter lunch, and so I stood underneath the bridge talking to the first aid man and a couple more workers there. Then I just heard the the bolts going off and like machine gun fire. I looked up and the span had left the pier and I just started to run, I was blown away with the downdraft. And all the chaps I was talking to, probably five of them underneath, didn't have time to tell them what was going on and... and I, I was blown clear and they were all killed in it.
4: Why were there some workers still up the top, though? You were coming down for lunch. How come they weren't all coming down for lunch?
3: because the mess huts were on top of the bridge and we'd been on strike the previous week and nobody had any money to go and have a beer and a a, a bit of lunch and uh, I happened to sell a pair of overalls for $5 on that morning and uh, that's why I was going up there had these bolting gantries underneath he was in one of them when the bridge fell the bridge hit hit the pier and he got bounced out of the bolting gantry and there's a there's a wire mesh about oh, six foot high he got bounced out of there and he landed on some more wire mesh in between the railway tracks at the bottom and it acted like a trampoline another rigger he rolled it down and he showed me long time after the imprint of his shifting span, he had a shifting span in, in, in his belt it was imprinted into his wallet
0: but for a while it was not exactly clear who had survived
9: so of course the boss said you better go you know, go down so I had one of my friends drive me down there but of course you couldn't get anywhere near and we saw a few of the ladies walking by, they were Terribly distressed, but um, then the policeman came up to us and asked who we were, and I explained that my husband was down there, and they said, "Look, the best thing you can do is just go home and wait." So we just went home. The kids came home from school. The teachers sent them home because evidently they were quite upset too.
5: First impression was that uh, I've never been in a war, but it certainly looked like a, a war zone. I remember. Uh, Going across in the workboat, where where men were actually crying, um, realising when they get there what sort of sight they're going to see. When the workboat pulled up, in fact, some people even jumped in the water to get there quicker, because the the man driving the boat was so nervous trying to pull the boat in. People couldn't wait and they were jumping in the water, trying to get to save some of their mates. Anyway, this person was lying face down. We rolled him over, and he had a a actual bolt right through his skull.
6: Some people were pinned, they were jammed, they were down, you know, down in areas uh, where they had to be got out, so, you know, you get ladders and ropes and they, they'd get anybody out, they'd put them in stretchers. If, if they were alive, they'd send them away in an ambulance. It, uh, I think, you know, more or less the whole place was like a morgue, you know. There was sirens, there was smoke, there was fire, there was oil everywhere. I mean the people down inside the spine, there were sheds on it, there were sheds crushed underneath. I remember I was working until eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock that Thursday night.
3: But then again, later on in the evening, you know the big bosses came up to me. Yeah. This would be about six o'clock at night. He said, right, you're on night shift. I said, piss off, I said, been night shift, been there all day, survived the accident. I identified all a lot of the bodies. Yeah, you're on night shift seven till seven. He had a walking stick with him. I think he'd hurt himself at playing at golf somewhere, felt like wrapping it round his bloody neck, you know.
1: For each one that forgets us, there'll be who remember The prophet, the culprit, in its greed was revealed Though many people stand by me, now I'm only an
0: emperor The Royal Commission laid most of the blame with Freeman, Fox and Partners. But did the Commission go far enough? it remains a mystery as to why nobody made a move to get off the bridge in that last hour. Looking back, some of the workers lay the blame on the capitalist system and the habits it engenders in workers
8: and bosses. Well, they could have taken a two spans town again, which probably would have been the uh, the alternative to blowing it up and, and, and assemble them together on the ground, which they eventually did.
5: I think we should have took a lot more interest in, in the actual health and safety of workers. I mean... We should have took a lot more interest in the actual steel when it was buckled. I mean, what we should have done was, I believe the union should have brought their own engineer on the, on the, on the site, and their own engineer should have assessed the bridge and give us a, a, uh, an opinion that wasn't biased towards companies. We just accepted the opinion of the company. And then they try and refine it and refine it and refine it
4: to make it cheaper, to make it lighter to make the erection process speedier, and they start to cut corners. And the thrust is always there for the profit motive and to get it done ahead of time. And this makes people cut corners. Their careers are involved, and companies are meeting deadlines. All the pressures are there.
1: You may speed through the Westgate, Altona and Newport. Past widows and children whose memories can't fade And use it for business or use it for pleasure Spare a thought for the men from whose flesh it
10: was made
0: Two years later, work on the bridge recommenced and life went on.
10: When Prince Charles comes, I sort of dressed up in the bulldog gear and a bit of red... White and blue stuff, and um, I thought we'd have a bit of a laugh as the prince was coming, sort of thing. And they said, Did you clock on? I said, My oath, I clocked on. I said, They said, Well, you're finished. And I said, No, I says, You're joking, aren't you? I said, uh, You know what the lads are like here? I said, I don't want an industrial dispute because of the clobber I'm wearing. I said, The bloke's a strike at the bloody drop of a hat. I said, I'd sooner go home, I said, and cause a bit of a blow, I said. And then there was the Greasy Spoon Man, we, we must mention him, Sonny McLean. He used to run the Greasy Spoon. The lads used to come down from up, up double height money on a cold morning in the Melbourne frost, freezing. The poor old riggers, bless their hearts, who built the bridge. <laughs> They'd be bloody freezing. And old Sonny, would have a big hot breakfast waiting for him. And they uh, reckoned to get the grease in his frying pan, he just he just used to scrape it off his apron. That's, where they c- 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 that's what they called it, the greasy spoon. He used to do them hot scones and fried breakfasts.
0: Andy Anderson, who was known as the clown on the job, but he wasn't the only character.
10: You know, the ferret, Tommy the Craw and the black rat, tomato face. There was, there was all nationalities, of course, and, and considering there was blokes from every walk of life, you know, I think they got got on very very good together you know sort of multinational job like and a lot of blokes didn't know what unions were until they went there and they soon found out and they had a good social committee when they used to have a bit of a shindig across at the clare castle and the vic on this side of the river uh so, like say st patrick's day you know the irish would be in full swing one or two you know when the bridge used to get the shakes in in When there was a high wind you know you could see they were a bit on the distraught side in fact a couple of them snatched it over it when there was a lot of wind they didn't want it to happen again you see you know they could see the visions of the past again don't
1: wait for the inquest of colonists don't send for the priest to place me below but tell if there's any still breathing To fight for the day When our time is our own
7: This program was researched and produced by Peter Bell, Dora Barini and Ken Mansell. Song lyrics by Ken Mansell. We would like to thank all the people who contributed their stories to this program.
2: Thanks for listening. That was part one of a three-part series of the Westgate
3: Bridge. Thank you very much. We'll see you on the 10th of February.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio
2: station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.